All right, guys, what is up? Welcome back for the 73rd installment of the Unplugged Alpha podcast. I'm joined today with uh, family lawyer, Jonathan Noble, uh, licensed to practice law in Pennsylvania. I think it's one other state too, isn't it? Uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. There we go. Um, we have a few talking points here in this video. It's kind of an update to what's been going on with family law. I think it's worthwhile revisiting topics like this on a, at least an annual basis. Jonathan's been on before. He's been a wealth of knowledge. A lot of guys really love the, the uh, you know, the feedback that he brings to the table. And he's quite red-pilled himself, a former entrepreneur, you know, kind of moved into practice law, big fan of hockey. Uh, man le leads an interesting life and he likes to share his experience, you know, with you guys. So um, I think with that introduction, we don't really need to kind of spend that much time on it because a lot of people already know who you are. But you have this um, opinion, which is known as case law here in Canada, um, which is a story about a guy that met a gal online on a dating app, took her out on a date, and TLDR version of it is he's now going to prison or, or he's facing uh, jail time for what happened. So can you walk the audience through this um, story and what the cautionary tale is with that before we get into you know, family law and divorce law and what's happening, you know, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Rich, for the introduction. Uh, basically, uh, there was a, a case in Pennsylvania, unpublished opinion that came out in Pennsylvania Superior Court, December 30th, 2022, uh, Commonwealth versus Wilton. And uh, you could just Google Pennsylvania Superior Court, or maybe Rich will put it, the link in the show notes. Long story short, a guy goes on a dating app and um, he matches with uh, a woman and they decide to meet at a bar, a restaurant bar, and they're talking to each other for a couple hours. They're kissing each other. They're talking about very intimate uh, subjects, what kind of uh, intimacy they like. Uh, she's showing him pictures of her most private areas on her cell phone. And um, after about a couple of hours of hanging out at the bar, she invites him into her SUV where uh, he pulls down his, his pants and uh, the rest is a he said, she said. Uh, the cautionary tale here is she claims that he assaulted her and that he uh, somehow forced her to perform sex acts on him or do things that she didn't agree to, and he's, his side of the story is different than hers. Uh, so it's a real cautionary tale that you better be very careful if uh, you're a man out there, especially if you don't have a lot of experience and you don't know the other person. So this guy goes out on maybe a Tinder date. I don't know what the dating app was. It doesn't say in the opinion. And the next thing you know, he's charged with multiple sex crimes. He gets convicted and he loses his appeal. So he'll be in state prison for at least two and a half years. His sentence was two and a half to five years. Then he has five years of probation after that. Mm. What do you think the motivation was? Like, why would she do something like this? Uh, you never know what, what she may have uh, tried to extort money from him and say, look, if you don't pay me, she was convicted of uh, welfare fraud. Mm -hmm. years before. So they were able to get that conviction in evidence uh, as a crimin falsi crime. She was uh, not honest and she was convicted of being dishonest and he still got convicted. 
Uh, so just a word to the wise. If you're a guy out there, be very, very careful. You know, he invited her to a hotel room and she declined. That should have been his first sign that, you know, she's not into this right now and she's not into him. Uh, and then why would she invite him into her SUV? Uh, like, why did he follow her in there? And uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but the problem I have with it is um, he, he probably should have thought this through a little more closely before getting undressed in her car or pulling his pants down, which is what was in the opinion that he did. So I just wanted to bring that the, up front to uh, your audience, bring it to their attention because yeah. I don't want so, to get into that. Yeah. So I want to ask you a couple questions around this. Cause I mean, there's a lot of like characters in the Mano swamp that sell like pickup artistry courses. And one of the angles that they tend to use is, is an acronym SNL, which stands for same night lay. So clearly this guy was making advances on this gal, um, but she reciprocated. She's, she's egging him on, showing him pictures of her nude body. She invites him into the SUV. Um, and then it kind of escalated from there. And then she obviously had buyer's remorse the next day. And then, you know, bad man over there made me do bad things. I want, you know, legal help, you know, help me, help me, help me, please. Right. Um, do you have any, do you have any advice for guys on maybe spotting these sirens? You know, these, the, these crazies that might potentially complicate a guy's life. I mean, this is like, I mean, I'm sure he didn't Google her first and last name plus welfare fraud, uh, you know, plus case law in the state to see if anything would come up. Most guys wouldn't think about that. But is there any like is there any advice that you might have for guys to sort of screen out these nutters? Uh, first piece of advice. And I gave this to uh, let me just preface this. Uh, I'm not your lawyer. If you're watching this It's not quote legal advice, but I would say this. Uh, be very careful, first of all, if uh, the, anyone's intoxicated, because then they can't give you consent, like if they're passed out. Mm -hmm. So if he was plowing her with drinks or I tell the high school kids years ago when I used to talk to them, if uh, someone's passed out, make sure they're OK, you know, get them help. Make sure they're not, uh, you know, over the limit where they could be in danger, in serious danger. But don't do anything with them. Don't, that's terrible. You're going to get yourself into a ton of trouble. At at what point does the legal system consider somebody intoxicated generally where they wouldn't be able to make a rational choice about inviting a guy into their SUV and then inviting a guy to take off his pants and then escalating it from there? Like, where's yeah. the line in the sand where it's like, oh, well, she was kind of drooling and half asleep, so she was clearly you know, intoxicated versus, well, she was clearly walking nice and straight in a straight line from the bar to the car and had one drink. Like, how do you distinguish that? Yeah, I was a guy. I would clearly, if it were me, I would be on the clear side, err on the side of caution. And you want them to be sober. You don't want some, you want a woman to show genuine burning desire for you or yeah. nothing or forget it. Like if she said, you know what? Uh, let's take a shower together. Let's take a bath together. Uh, you know, she's completely sober, hasn't been drinking. There's no signs of intoxication. You want her to have all of her wits about her. Uh, you don't want her in that, even in that gray area. Why be, put yourself in that position? I wouldn't. Uh, 
I don't care how thirsty you are. Don't do it. Do It's not worth it because cases like this come about. It becomes a he said, she said. Make mm -hmm. sure consent is clear and they are of clear, sound mind. Don't take a chance where somebody can come back later and said, I was intoxicated or I passed out or you don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. Have you seen anything um, as far as opinions or maybe case law that um, makes any recommendations as far as guys, you know, protecting themselves or like what can guys get away with? So I've heard stories of guys using things like nanny cams in their house to record consent without them actually, you know, knowing that they're being recorded. Like where does the law stand on something like that? Because, you know, yeah. if she if she turns around the next day and says, well, you know, he graped me and I didn't consent and this is completely offside and I didn't want this to happen, but he has video evidence of her initiating the entire process. Like how does the law look at something like that? Is that something that guys can use to protect themselves? Not really. You got to be careful because in some jurisdictions it's illegal to record somebody unless both parties know they're being recorded in other jurisdictions, just one party. So you got to, it can change mm -hmm. from jurisdiction to jurisdiction you would need somebody's permission. Uh, so you don't want to find yourself on the wrong side of the law, depending mm -hmm. upon what the law is. Uh, there are guys uh, who have hidden cameras and nanny cameras hidden in stuffed animals or hidden in a closet somewhere with a hole in the wall. You better not do that if you're not allowed to in your jurisdiction. You'll get in a heap of trouble. So there's no easy answer. I would say really vet the person very carefully. This same night lay or whatever the uh whatever the acronym was mm. you're you're asking for it you really need to yeah. be careful that's yeah i've said to guys many times i'm like you know use your first date as a sniff test have a drink you know do you know just take an hour out of your day have a drink go for a walk grab a coffee sort of thing sniff her out see what she's all about um but if you're going to follow the advice of some of these you know nefarious cuckoos that are telling you to like roll around with every chick you possibly can within 20 minutes of meeting them, you're eventually going to smash into something like this, which is going to cause problems for you. I mean, a woman of higher character isn't going to be showing you nude pictures of herself in a bar. A woman of higher character is not going to invite you in a car and invite you to take off your clothes uh, that early on. I mean, it, it can wait. Like, why can't it wait, you know, for you to have like a second or third date and say, hey, you know, come over to my place. Let's go over to your place sort of thing. You can make things happen there. And then if you want, at least you have a little more time to sort of size her up to see what she's made of. But I don't think guys are are giving themselves enough time and just, and just rushing into this headstrong. It, it, it seems like it's probably. Is this the first time you've seen this or does this pop up a lot for you? Uh, I've seen it a couple of other times and I hate these to see these cases where it becomes down to a he said, she said. Because it's always so, whatever she said goes now, right? Well, he said uh, she touched his uh, genitals, and she said, no, he forced me onto his genitals as he was sitting in the passenger seat of the car. Hmm. You know, to convict somebody of that, and there's such a, a diverse uh, rendition of what happened. I wasn't at the trial, but she could... You know, she had a lot of other emotional issues. She sobbed during the trial, which uh, was another problem for his mm -hmm. case because uh, there was a problem with the jury instructions around that. I'm thinking to myself, 
man, if you just used a little bit more common sense and were a little more discerning around how you went about this, I don't know how old the guy was, but he had to be the age of majority to be tried in an adult court, not as a juvenile. So let's say he was in his 20s or 30s. Mm -hmm. um, are you really that thirsty mm -hmm. to have someone that you don't know, you know, have a, you know, a sexual encounter with you in a car? Uh, do, you, do you need something like two-party consent if you have like a webcam that films out of the car and in the car at the same time? I mean, it's already in place. Like she would see it. Is that something that's necessary? I think in it depends upon the jurisdiction, but like if you're filming somebody with your uh, cell phone or a camera that's outside and you tell them, look, that's mm. on now, you know, the other person is aware of it and they could either tell you to turn it off or leave. But going back to the domestic violence issues, and we're going to talk about that later, uh, that's that's one way where if somebody's attacking you and they're a borderline, a borderline personality disorder, histrionic, or they are just out of control, that might be your best line of defense. You know, whether or not they consent, if you're being attacked and mm -hmm. they could bring up a, a domestic violence charge against you, that's that could be the way to go. Yeah. Okay. So let's um, let's kind of switch gears now and move away from this um, opinion because you've got a bunch of hot topic talking points here for 2023 with family law. Yep. Um, um, take it away. All right. Well, first topic that I'm seeing into 2023, paternity by estoppel, and I'll tell you what that means in a second, uh, is being overturned in some jurisdictions. Basically, if you're married and your wife has a baby, uh, automatically, as her husband, you are the father of the child. Uh, and it used to be that it was very difficult to get out from taking care of that child if it came out that the child wasn't really yours, especially if you signed the birth certificate or you acknowledged paternity somehow, like mm -hmm. you didn't say it wasn't yours. Or So now I've seen cases where uh, if it can be proven by clear and convincing evidence that the mother of the child, either your wife or your ex-wife, perpetrated a fraud on you, that you can petition the court and you're no longer responsible for the child. So this is a merging area of the law. The way it used to be everywhere was the, the real father of the child, let's say it was um, Chad or Tyrone. Your wife had sex with Chad or Tyrone or Steve from accounting or whoever. Uh, they didn't want that person to come in and break up the family. But if there was fraud involved, uh, they're allowing the husband or ex-husband to come in and say, wait a second. She knew this wasn't my child because she had uh, sex with her old boyfriend or some other guy that she ran into. And it couldn't be mine based on the gestation period. Uh, it, it couldn't, I looked at the calendar, it couldn't have been mine. So I'm seeing some cases overturned. The fact that a DNA test is so easy and so accurate now, uh, as opposed to years ago when this law was developed, now the courts are saying, okay, let's see. If you're saying that uh, she perpetrated a fraud on you, uh, let's see, let's have, order a DNA test and the courts will do it. I would encourage any guy, if there's any doubt, no matter how small, Get a DNA test before you acknowledge paternity. Let me um, um, 
let me pose this matter to you. I, I, I still have it saved on my phone. I did a, a screenshot earlier this week. So 37-year-old male, 35-year-old female, and the title says, got a DNA test because I don't think he's mine. He says, I'm a black man. My baby mama is white with black hair and brown eyes. The kid is white with blue eyes and blonde hair. I didn't say anything much. I thought maybe her genetics are stronger. But as he got older, the kid, and older, he didn't get darker and he didn't look anything like me. He got lighter and his features got lighter as well. When I got married and had children, I started looking at him more as, as he was looking nothing like me or my other son. Not just skin color, but face. It got worse as he got older. My other son is now 15 and 6'1". Child in question is at best 5'2". I keep feeling anger seeing said child. And I said to his mother straight up to her face that I want a DNA test. And she said no. I told her either we get one now or I'm taking it to court. I tried to look past the looks things. But I know now that it's too obvious that he's not my son. He goes on for a little bit. Do you have headphones, by the way? We're getting some feedback now. Yeah. Sometimes it comes and goes. Um, so what's your thought on something like that? Do you have any? I'm not sure if you've seen anything like that before or if, the, or if that's something you have any experience with. Yeah. Is that, uh, is the feedback gone? It's gone. Perfect. Okay. Uh, I would petition the court. I don't know where he's located. Didn't say. I would petition the court for a DNA test. Uh, how old was the kid? Did he say? It sounds like a teenager because he said his other son was six foot one, so a fully mm. grown, you know, male. Yeah, if the kid's a teenager, he's probably going to emancipate pretty soon because in most jurisdictions, kid emancipates at 18 or when they graduate from high school in terms of child support. So it, I would like to know if I were him, I'd want to know, is this really my child or not? Uh, yeah. Like, are there any damages that, that you would suffer as a father for raising somebody else's seed? And then you find out, let's say the kid's 15, he's not yours, but you spent 15 years doing birthdays, vacations, holidays, family events, picnics, all that sort of stuff. Are there any damages that are ever awarded to a father? Because paternity fraud is kind of a one-way street. It, it, it's really only women that can do it to men, right? Like men really can't do it to women because they carry the baby. Right. It would be a as far as I know, it would be a case of first impression where somebody successfully sued the other side uh, and recovered damages for fraud like that. Um, I, I, I don't know any in the jurisdictions where I practice where you could retroactively claw back. You'd have to prove the damages, first of all. But let's say you didn't live with the mother and you were paying her child support. Let's say you're a high earner and you're paying her thousands of dollars a month for a kid that's not even yours. Mm. You know, then you can quantify it a lot easier. Yeah, there's a number on it then. Yeah. But to say, well, I sent him to summer camp 10 years ago and paid for all the food he ate. And that's much more difficult. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, let's move on to child relocation cases. Okay. Uh, one other thing that I'm seeing coming into 2023 is... People are moving around. People are leaving red states and going to blue states or going to red states from blue states. And there are, are minor children involved. So I'm seeing a lot more relocation cases. And the burden to is on the person proposing the move, that the move is in the child's best interest. And the cases are really fact dense. Uh, you have to show the court that 
the move is going to somehow benefit the child. So I've seen cases where mother is marrying a millionaire who lives in Florida and she wants to move from rural Pennsylvania to Florida to be with him, to be with the new husband. And the father and the, all of father's extended family still lives in Pennsylvania in that area. And the court won't allow her to take the kid. She, the court won't allow her to take the kid. The court will allow her to move. The court can't stop an adult from moving, but they can stop the kid from moving. Mm -hmm. So that's an issue where uh, happily the court says, no, 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 go marry your millionaire and go to Florida, but the, the kids stay here because you haven't shown me enough proof that it's in their best interest to go there. Uh, so as people move around, and I see a lot more of that uh, recently, certainly over the last couple of years, these relocation cases are very hard fought. And the burden of proof is, can be like very difficult to, to prove to a judge that the kid is going to leave all of his friends, especially if they play organized sports or they have any special needs or the other side has a lot of extended family that's mm -hmm. there as a support system. And they don't care that you're going to go marry a millionaire and live uh, on the coast somewhere. And I applaud the courts for doing that. So this, so this brings me to a, a point which I think is extremely relevant because as you're going through divorce, generally most of the time women are seeking, you know, the, you know, to become the custodial parent, right? Like they want to have the kids all the time, and then the other parent gets the the kids every other weekend. <clears throat> In several juris jurisdictions that I'm aware of, if you don't have shared parenting and she ends up with a like an 80 20 sort of split like she's got the kids 80 percent of the time she can for the most part make a unilateral call and just say right we're just picking up and going because she's the primary parent um does that vary from state to state in the u.s like how does it work there that definitely varies from state to state every single custody order let's say in pennsylvania there's a paragraph that uh, before you can relocate with uh, any minor child that's subject to this custody order, you must follow the dictates of section, I think it's 5337 of the Child Custody Act that mm -hmm. says you have to give the other side notice by certified letter. Uh, and then they have 30 days to oppose your move. And if they oppose and the opposition should be documented and docketed in the courts. Mm -hmm. And if they oppose your move for any reason, there's a hearing on it and you can't just pick up and move with the kid. And the, uh, the way the statute reads is if the move impairs the other parents custodial rights, meaning visitation or their physical custody rights. Now, if you move, let's say hypothetically down the street, you don't really need to permission to do that. But if you move the kid far away, let's say out of the school district where they're located, or I would say like an hour away, that you need to notify the other side to play it safe. Uh, because an hour away, most judges aren't going to force the kid to commute to school an hour each way now, whereas mm -hmm. before they could walk to school or they were they could jump on the school bus. So, yeah, it, yeah you, the. If you're the primary custodian, 
uh, here, it doesn't matter. Now, if you have sole legal and sole physical custody, that's different. But getting sole legal custody in the jurisdictions I'm familiar with and where I practice, it's almost impossible uh, mm -hmm. unless you killed the mother or uh, even if you're incarcerated, you're probably going to still have some say about the medical decisions if you want to and mm -hmm. that educational decisions. So, yeah. And in, in, um, in most places, um, you know, where family law is a little more hostile, it sounds like it's more balanced in your States, but, um, a lot of guys don't even contemplate this or, you know, they just think, Oh, well, she says I can see the kids and I'll have 30% and she'll have 70% and we'll just, you know, we'll work it out They're You know, they're young, everything's fine. And then three, four years go by and the kids go from, you know, six to not really having friends to, you know, nine and 10 sort of thing. Now all of a sudden they've got more friends. They've got more going on in their life. Mom's met, like you said, maybe some rich guy that lives, you know, four States away and he wants to marry her and invite her into his life. Um, you're in for a bit of a surprise most of the time because more often than not, she's going to take the kids and go. Um, and you're not going to have much, uh, much of a say in it unless you live in one of the states that are friendly to fathers or you've got, got a shared parenting plan. So you don't think about these things on the spot. You just think, ah, it'll be fine. You don't know who she's going to meet and what she's going to plan to do. Or maybe she gets a relocation offer for her job to go somewhere else, you know, with a big fat pay rise and a promotion, you know, sort of thing. So these are things that you need to deal with before the divorce guys, you have to get this inked in the paper. Right. Uh, Another big problem is guys don't think about her new boyfriend, whoever that may be, moving into the house. This is they another problem. What happens if he's got, uh, you know, like a son that is like you've got a daughter and she's 12 and he's got a son that's 15 and he's awkward and socially weird. And the biggest risk to your kids, guys, by the way, is a non-blood relative in the same house as your kids. Um, Absolutely. You know, if if you get out there and you date enough, you're going to run into enough women that grew up in a household, a divorce household, where she was exposed to either a stepbrother or a stepfather that, uh, you know, stepped out of line and caused problems that aren't always dealt with. Um, you will run into it. So that's another risk factor, too. Right. Uh, so think this through very carefully. Uh, you, 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 it's a huge problem or a potential problem. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, other other issues that I've seen and I see going forward, you're divorced and um, your ex wants to follow the mandates of your jurisdiction, your country or whatever regarding the jab or regarding uh, school protocols or face masks or anything. And you don't. Um, I've seen these issues litigated where and judges hate to decide because it's not their child, but unfortunately, there's no other way to do it. So uh, you, you got to think about these things. Uh, if you're getting married or even having a child with someone that there's got to be some discussion around it. Don't leave it to chance. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of guys that I've talked to over the last couple of years that had serious issues with their ex-wife because they wanted to get the kid jabbed and he was opposed to it and it turns into a big fight. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about it because again, she's, you know, she's got custody and she's the one that's, you know, pulling the strings, you know, depending on where you live. So, um, these aren't, 
I mean, this isn't a conversation that that anybody would have thought that would have been worthwhile having in 2017. You know, the idea of a pandemic coming and, you know, locking down and then the, and the state forcing experimental uh, beer bug jabs on you, otherwise you'd lose your job sort of thing or, to, you know, to protect you because they would scare you into it. This is stuff that people didn't contemplate, you know, four or five years ago. Um, right. So I think it's important, you know, to Jonathan's point that, that you are on the same page as her or, or she's on the same page as you. Either way, you're on the same page when it comes to matters around medical procedures, school protocols, you know, like you mentioned, like all of these things you, you should like this should be part of the vetting process when you get married. Doesn't doesn't mean she might not change her mind, you know, later on down the road or after you get divorced, she might have a change of view. She might have a difference in her political you know swing sort of thing but it's something to consider absolutely um all right other i'm going to keep moving uh, other common issues i see in my family law divorce practice there seems to be a continued belief that divorce will never happen to someone i see it all guys will say i never thought this was going to happen i thought she was my soulmate, my soulmate. <laughs> i don't need a prenup She'll never change and she'll play fair if we separate or divorce. She'll play fair if we separate uh, or divorce. I got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you if you think that won't happen. I've seen people at their absolute worst and they just drag the process out and burn the earth just because. And the guy didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't run away with his secretary or some starlet. He just could, didn't live up to her Disney-esque expectations. And, you know, no matter, even if she hires a reasonable, educated, well-educated attorney, experienced attorney, they just go crazy sometimes. And you got to just deal with it, do the best you can. And I just see that like all the time. So a word to the wise, think about if marriage is really necessary. If you want to have children, your legacy, and I know there are certain cultures where marriage is important uh, for religious reasons and cultural reasons, but those reasons, when you juxtapose them to the laws in your jurisdiction, they don't mesh well. Uh, mm -hmm. There's never a good ending. So I would ask you to think about that. So... So to that point, and I completely agree with everything you've said tonight, you know, inclusive of this, but I want to sort of, I want to propose something a little bit different to you, Jonathan, because I get pushback on this, you know, myself, it's, you know, it usually comes from the traditional conservative crowd. Look, I've got six kids. I've got five kids. We've been married forever. Uh, if we got divorced, I would marry her. Or if I came back into another life, I would marry her again. And I would do it all over again, sort of thing. Like there's these hardcore guys that, purport publicly they have a great life their children are amazing their wife is completely in their frame and they love them and they would never leave them or harm them in any way shape or form but the problem is is that okay that that exception to a general rule doesn't disprove the rule and i'm wondering how you handle the the traditional conservative crowd that that, that basically just you know distills it down, down to you're not being a man, just man up and get married. You know, you have a duty. Um, like, what do you think of those sort of dialogues and conversations that come up often? Like, 
I don't buy into the mainstream narrative. And I'm telling you this through the lens of a divorce lawyer, obviously, but I'm not jaded at all. If you're hell bent on following whatever, you know, history dictates you should do or what your culture says what you should do or your family says, good luck. That's why I'm in business and people like me are in business. We end up untangling the mess. Uh, the odds are against you. Uh, you can't dispute that. You know, the odds are overwhelmingly against that your marriage will end in the death of one of you. Uh, so, and if it's a second marriage for either of you, it's overwhelmingly against the odds that death is going to end the marriage. So the least you could do is protect yourself to the greatest extent possible. Um, but I need you to really think about, is marriage really necessary? Some of the best relationships that I'm familiar with, the people are not married and they don't even live together, but they are really into each other and they see each other fairly often, maybe three, four nights a week. Um, and that's great. Uh, on, a, on a personal note, is that the way that you've structured yours? Because that's the way that I've structured mine, non-cohabitating LTR. It's good. That is the way that I have structured my relationship. I, yeah. It's over three years. It's a great relationship. Uh, we live about 65 miles apart. And it's awesome. It's easy to get there. She comes to me, wide open uh, door, either way. Uh, so, and it's great. It's just, we travel together and it's, it's a great relationship. Uh, mm -hmm. I wish everybody could experience it. Uh, there it's, it's what I would recommend if it's something that it's not ideal for raising children, but for guys like us that are past that point, it's right. Yeah. It, it's great. So now neither of us have to get on an airplane and see each other. It's not that kind of long distance relationship. Mm -hmm. She's down at the beach. So uh, if I, even in the winter, I like the beach. So we'll mm -hmm. go down there and see her, but, uh, and or she'll come to me a lot closer to the city. And uh, it just works out great that way. I'm, she does her thing. I do my thing. And when we're together, it's great. So mm. I, yeah, I just can't see any argument for like living with a woman or getting married to a woman at this stage of life. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. Like I could see, you know, the need, if you want to raise kids, then you have to go through the process of vetting her, making sure she's a good mother stock, maybe considering moving to a state that's friendlier to father sort of thing. If you live in a hostile state, like there's, you know, blanketing it with some kind of agreement, a prenup cohabitation, depending on how you want to structure it. There's, there's mechanisms that you can put in place, as you mentioned. Right. I've had people come to me, uh, women have come to me and said, look, I want to marry him, but he doesn't want to get married. And I'm afraid that if he gets sick uh, and he can't speak for himself, that I'm not his wife. They won't let me into the hospital. Mm. I'm like that's an that's an easy remedy. Just get a power of attorney, a durable power of attorney. You can make health care decisions. Uh, so that's no reason to get married. Uh, I've heard other uh, reasons that just really don't outweigh the potential risks. You can still have great intimacy and phenomenal relationships without bringing state law into your life. Mm. That's how I explain it. So, gotcha. All right, let's go to the next point. Um, I want to make some time for you guys to call in a little bit. I'm going to drop the link in the YouTube chat for you soon. Okay, I'll 
I'll go quickly because I want to talk about domestic violence issues because I know that's a, a, a hot topic, a really problem. Yeah. But, but I've seen cases where guys who uh, are not married, but they're engaged and they buy a piece of real estate, maybe a place you want to move into and put the other person's name on the deed. And then they break up before they get married. What a mess. What a mess trying to uh, separate the, that asset. Uh, I would strongly recommend you don't do that, uh, at least until you're married, if you're going to get married. Um, all right. An another thing I see, uh, many guys go along with what the wife or the wife's family wants until he's lost his identity. Ooh, it happens all the time. You need to be careful of that, uh, whether you, it's the death by a thousand concessions or sometimes it's death by 50 concessions. It's just you lose your yourself and it becomes untenable. And then you end up in my office and it's a mess. So a lot of, I see a lot of guys beaten down by overbearing people. Yeah, that's um, that's the whole betatization through a thousand concessions that I talk about in my book, The Unplugged Alpha. So if you haven't if you haven't read it, read it. If you've read it, you know exactly what Jonathan's talking about. Okay, moving on. Child support issues. I see a lot of the extracurriculars get litigated. Uh, seven year old kid wants to play travel ice hockey. This is probably big in the Greater Toronto area too. It's like ten or fifteen thousand dollars to put a kid mm -hmm. in ice hockey. Uh, divorced parents and one of them wants to, let's say the mom wants a kid to play and uh, he's not that good or he's not old enough to really get a benefit out of traveling around uh, Canada and the U.S. every weekend to play hockey. It's just a huge expense. Uh, so SAT prep and summer courses and sleepover camps and private school costs and tutoring. I see a lot of that going on. Um I would, I tell my clients, and it depends upon your jurisdiction, but you, before you agree to anything, run it by your lawyer and make sure that it's clear in writing. Because you, if you agree to something and you can no longer pay for it, the courts don't really care that much. Uh, they're going to, they're going to force you to pay. So don't overpromise. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've seen people do that. It's a mess. It's a mess. Um, next issue I see a lot of. Uh, where guys get into lifestyle creep, where they get married and they'll buy a, a house and live a lifestyle that is beyond their means. On a, it's unsustainable, and they, it becomes untenable. And one thing leads to another, and she doesn't work or doesn't want to work anymore, and it's a mess. So watch the lifestyle creep. If you don't cohabitate with someone, don't marry them. It's not gonna affect you be you need to be strong-minded too a lot of the people i see they lose themselves and that's the beginning of the end it, like in your experience is it is it mostly guys losing themselves to her frame or is it the other way around where she loses herself to his frame uh it i think it really depends a lot of what i see is a guy will marry someone that's quote out of his league and he'll always like pedestalize her and he, she never treats him like, you know, he's worthy. And over time, how much can somebody take of that? You know, they, they're like, they can't sustain the relationship. So mm -hmm. the best thing to do is become the best version of yourself if you're a guy. And then invite her into your life, into your frame, 
Mm. And and maintain because, that during the marriage too. You have to. Yeah. You have to constantly maintain it. Um, but I've seen guys that marry beautiful women who it's just never passionate for them. And they just always feel lucky until one day they stop feeling lucky and say, what am I doing? You know, I'm being mistreated and disrespected. And they have um, an entire, uh, they have an entire genre of television shows now for passport bros where these average guys go to Asia and they get a attractive woman or they'll go to like, you know, Eastern Europe and they'll get a hot woman. They'll bring them back and they just get destroyed when they show up over here. Oh, absolutely. A lot of guys think that, oh, well, she'll never really understand the laws here. She doesn't really have to. She just needs to call somebody like me yeah. or another divorce lawyer. They'll explain the whole thing. And if they're talking to their friends uh, on a Facebook book group or some other ch group chat, they'll, oh, yeah. they'll wise up. So The West will pollute their minds quickly. Don't worry, guys. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to move on to an issue yeah. that is... Uh, very important. It's domestic violence claims or protection from abuse claims, uh, temporary restraining orders. If you learn nothing else from our conversation, anybody that's watching this, uh, I just want you to think of these things. When you're dating someone, you need to vet for any serious mental health issues that could create a situation where someone's accusing you of putting them in fear of serious bodily injury, never threaten anyone. All right. Especially in writing, but you should never threaten anyone. Anyway, you always want to be in a position where if somebody goes off the deep end on you, that you can just get out of that situation, walk away. Um, don't hit anybody. All right. And don't threaten to hit anybody. I've seen hundreds of these uh, domestic violence cases do not uh, retaliate. Don't let it escalate out of control. Always be in control of your emotions. So that's number one. Um, if you have a child with someone out of wedlock, that is usually, if you have no intention of marrying them or co-parenting with them, there's always fights over the child, whether it's where the kid is for Halloween or who the baby mom is living with or any of that stuff. There's a lot, even the custody exchanges, even if the custody exchanges are at a police station. Uh, she, I've seen cases where the mother will say he threatened me or, you know, he uh, don't get involved with that kind of person. If at all possible, I don't care what they look like or how great intimacy is. It can be a disaster for you and you can lose some of your rights if you're convicted. Um, most people don't understand the burden of proof in domestic violence, protection from abuse or temporary restraining order cases. And here's the key in most jurisdictions that I'm familiar with, the burden of proof for the plaintiff is a preponderance of the evidence versus in a criminal case, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. So I, in these protection from abuse cases, all the judge has to do is believe the one person 50.000001% more than the other person, like 51 versus 49. That's the preponderance of the evidence. Whereas if it was a criminal case, it's beyond a reasonable doubt and the burden is much higher. So some of these cases, you know, could come down to 
you know, what, who does the judge believe? And I've seen people lie. Uh, and I think they're lying, but it's not up to me. It's up to the mm -hmm. judge. And sometimes in, uh, in these domestic violence cases in the courts, there could be 20, 30 cases in a day. So you have a very short period of time to defend yourself and you don't want to even find yourself in these courts. So to your one, point, maintaining separate residences solves this for the most part. Yeah. I, I put that as a note, if possible, yeah. this way, uh, you know, if you don't like what's going on, you could go back home or she could go mm -hmm. back home. And it happens mm -hmm. with same sex couples too. I've seen it happen with same sex couples. So it's, it, it happens. One thing I want to bring up, if you find yourself uh, on the wrong end of a domestic violence claim and you go to court, um, some jurisdictions have a friend of the court or a neutral volunteer lawyer for the day. And usually it's a very experienced divorce or family law attorney. And the courts will ask uh, a bunch of us will you come in and volunteer like once a quarter for uh, a friend of the court duty? And we settle the cases before they go in front of the judge. Uh, and there's a multiple ways to do it where nobody has a record and everybody is safe and the case gets dismissed. Sometimes the parties will agree to a cooling off period where if there's no violation within 30, 60, or even 90 days, he's left the house or she's left the house, uh, the whole thing goes away. And that's better than having the judge possibly get it wrong. Because uh, the judges really try hard to get them right, but they're human too. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I'll see a case uh, that is entered where she's trying to have the kids be separated from the father too. And that's usually a tip that this is kind of bogus because there's a custody battle going on too. And he hasn't done anything to threaten the kids. So try to get legal counsel, experienced legal counsel. Even better than that is try to avoid people that could file a bogus claim against you. Have nothing to do with them. That's, I, I wish I had a crystal ball I could give you, but. Yeah. Um, I think you covered all the points, right? Uh, I have covered the points that I wanted to touch on. If we have any questions, for sure. Yeah, um, Jerry, I'll get to you first. I see you waiting there. If you guys have a question you want to call in on the show, um, now is the time to do it. The link to call in is pinned at the top of the Unplugged Alpha YouTube channel. It's always there in every show, by the way, guys. So if you ever want to ask a question, link will always be posted after the presentation part sort of complete, which is around the 45-minute mark. So click that, join in, and you'll be able to ask. Uh, I'm just going to run a quick ad reel before we switch over to taking... Um, some questions from you guys and uh yeah we'll do some q a for as much time as we can uh fit in this episode is brought to you by the unplugged alpha supplements and grondike soap company brothers if you're like me and you take what you put in your body seriously you'll want to use the unplugged alpha supplements an obsession with absorption is what sets this line apart from the others you want to make sure that you absorb as much of the supplements as possible so you don't end up peeing out expensive urine. My supplement line is made in the United States from the highest quality domestic ingredients. And unlike cheaper supplements from China in plastic bottles, mine ship in dark glass bottles to keep your supplements fresher, longer, and won't seep endocrine disrupting plastics into your supplements. Nothing is a hard tablet. Everything is in an easily digestible, bioavailable capsule. You can filter all products by various categories, 
including testosterone support, estrogen metabolism, fat burning, immune health, sleep support, and performance. Visit theunpluggedalpha.com forward slash shop and use the subscribe and save option to get 10% off your supplement orders or use coupon code alpha10 for 10% off a one-time order to try it out. Then I use tactical soap and God of War beard oil every day. Tactical soap is a handmade product made in the United States from ingredients you can actually pronounce, not conventional endocrine lowering toiletry chemicals. Both the soap and the beard oils are infused with bioidentical pheromones that are designed by a clinical psychologist and pheromone expert to maximize attractiveness to the opposite sex. Go visit coopersoap.com and get 10% off your order today. Guys, check out my website at richcooper.ca for more information on booking me for coaching, my community, my courses, and a whole bunch more. You can also find all the useful links pinned below in the top YouTube comment of all my videos. Now let's get on with the show. All right, guys, so welcome back. Um, We'll get to the Q&A in just one second. I got to make two quick announcements. Um, Actually, more than that, maybe real quick. Uh, I got some super chats, which we'll get to. I've just uh, finished a uh, Unplugged Alpha's guide course on divorce. Um, it's uploaded to my teachable store. It's open all the time. It is a very, uh, well-organized orchestrated set of lectures on what you need to understand when you go through the divorce grinder. Uh, you're still going to need a lawyer. It's not a replacement for hiring a lawyer. It's a compliment to it and it is best consumed before you file for divorce or during the process. Ideally, um, it's in the description. And there's 30 coupon codes that you guys can use. I'll get you 50% off. Uh, it's half off. So the link's there. The first 30 people that use it will get it. Go grab it now. There's a community portion of it as well, which is hosted on a, a private Facebook group. So you guys can chop it up privately. And I'm also going to offer you guys monthly calls with me on Zoom, again, privately. So anything that comes up during the process or questions you have, you can bring them up there. So check that out. Uh, also, real quick, the a couple of supplements are out of uh, stock right now. They're, I think we're out of stock on Alpha DK and the Alpha T supplement, the uh, testosterone booster. Uh, it should be back in stock in the next two days tops, maybe three days max. So a few guys have messaged me asking me about that. Yes, I know the site says sold out, but it'll be back in stock in a few days. The order's already shipped and it's already labeled. So let's give uh, Jerry a shot here, see what he's got for us tonight. What's up, my man? Hey, Rich. How you doing, Mr. Noble? How are you? Good, Jerry. How are you? Good. I love when you come on. I've always been a big fan of yours. Thank you. I want to bring Thank up, you. I'm going to tell two quick stories here. Um, my parents got divorced 20 years ago. One story is about my father and the other is about my stepfather. After 20 years of marriage, my mother divorced my stepfather. And basically, he had a business before they got married and he never co-mingled that business. And so when it came time to divvy up the assets, um, that was not on the table. I'm in Washington state, by the way, but also, you know, a few years ago, my father, um, who's still married to my stepmother, she made a threat that she was going to take half and leave him and move down South where her family was. Um, about a week later, my stepmother received a letter in the mail from my father's attorneys saying that everything we have, was mine before we came into marriage and I did not commingle any of it. If you stay married to me, you're going to be able to live nicely for the rest of your life. Even after I die and you'll have none of these assets, they will all be transferred to the children. 
Um, and then they also gave her a list of new lawyers so she could have a lawyer because they were no longer going to represent her. So it seems to me this co-mingling thing, I've never heard you guys talk about it, but I'm in Washington state. I know laws are different in other states, but what experience do you have with, you know, men not having prenups, but having not co-mingled business and how does that work? Okay. That's a great question. Uh, I could speak from the jurisdictions where I practice. Uh, if there's no prenup and you bring assets into a marriage, let's say you have a real estate portfolio, the growth in those assets from the day you say I do until the day you say I don't, or you separate the growth in value is a marital asset without a prenup. Uh, so that's why I tell people that have assets or are accumulating assets, you need a prenup. Uh, and you're going to have to prove what they were worth on the wedding day, too. So if you have a prenup, you'll have all that. So you'll have your appraisals. You'll have your bank statements from the day of the wedding. Uh, if you don't, then you got to dig back 20 years and try to convince a judge, wait, these were mine before. Commingling is always a bad idea without a prenup. You don't want to commingle an inheritance. You don't want to commingle uh, the proceeds from your real estate deals into uh, an a, a account that's a marital account. Uh, so I don't I don't know the laws in the state of Washington, uh, but I know that where I practice, the growth in that separate asset is a marital asset. So a lot of times people will be already own a home. Uh, even if they don't have a lot of other assets, but it grows over 20 years in value, the difference in value from the time of the wedding until the time of divorce would be considered a marital asset. Hey, Jerry, question for you. How old was yeah. your dad and, and stepmom when they got married? Um, I would say around 30, 32, 33. My dad was about that age. And she was how old? About the same, or a little bit them, younger. About the same. Do they have yeah. any more kids? They had one child together and she brought one child in and my father brought me and my sister in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like round two and that's like, I've always said like everything has an expiry date. It's just, is it going to expire when one of your, like, you know, when your spouse dies or is it going to expire when your spouse meets Kevin from sales and decides that she wants to untie the knot, but everything's going to expire at some point. So it's like, you know, the risk factor is always higher the second time around. What's the uh, divorce rate for second time marriages? What is it like 60, 70%, Jonathan? Yeah, it's uh, like well over 60%. And it, it's just a bad risk. I can't understand how people get married multiple times. Like maybe, you know, first one doesn't work out or you become a widow or widower. Yeah, that that's understandable. But I've seen people get married three and four times. Unbelievable. And of course the wow. issue's never with them. It's always uh, the other person. So we'll try again a fourth time. I, I, I could never imagine that. No, but yeah. some people. So, are, um, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, Very ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going to add something you made me think of, you know, like I said, I had a stepfather and I also had a stepmother and in both, both scenarios, um, you know, my mother sided with me and my sister over the step kids that, you know, she had. And same thing with my dad. My stepmother, you know, has always favored her children over us. And 
you know, as my dad's gotten older, it's kind of gotten ugly and, and really disappointed that, you know, how she's able to have things her way when it comes to her kids. And, you know, but I'm an adult, so that's fine. I'd like to say one more thing and give a little share that mm-hmm. I haven't heard you guys talk much about is, is when you're going through a divorce process, um, I highly recommend don't date anybody. Um, when m- my divorce was going on, I, I was conditioned to believe that I'm going to get every other weekend and one night a week. I was just planning. That was the plan. And then, you know, during the divorce, I, I showed up early to the meetup to transfer the kids. And she was with my youngest kid and a guy at the park. And like we, we, she filed like two months before and like it hit me hard and I was pissed. I was like, you mother in my head. And I was like, you know what? I'm fighting for 50, 50. I am not, I'm fighting all the way. I will burn the house down and we can split the ashes. I don't care. So um, I want to let everybody know that, that it is very dangerous because I was talking to a police officer the other day, his divorce was going fine and everything was great. She left him. And once the, the soon to be ex-wife found out this cop was dating a girl and having a good time and happy, she lost her shit. And she started causing all sorts of problems and now they're back in court and they can't work anything out because she's pissed and it didn't make any sense because she left him. So yeah, yeah that's a good point. I, I see it all the time. Are you in King County by any chance? I was in King County and that's where our divorce was finalized in Pierce County. Now where I'm in Pierce County, but it was, I'm glad it was not in, in King County. King County is not a fun place. No, no. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's very bad. Okay, they do have a mm. good system if uh, you don't have any money. Like if you're if you're uh, unable to afford a divorce, they have a program set up to try to get people divorced. But otherwise, you know, it's a very populated area of the state. Uh, I had some contact with them many years ago, and I came to find out that they had a good program for people that just couldn't afford to get divorced because uh, it can be a convoluted process. So. Uh, uh, hopefully everything's going great for you now. Everything's fantastic. I got 50, 50, you know, great. we were a, a phased in parenting plan, which we, we were in a three day trial. It was, it was awful. It was about 200 entries in the uh, docket. Wow. But um, during the, you know, from phase two, when I was about 35%, she, she sent a, a notice to me saying she wanted to move. And, and I had 20 days, I think it was to respond. And I had to prove to, you know, the county or the state or whatever you want to call it, I had to prove to the state that her move with the children would be more harmful than keeping them here. And that was expensive and tricky. And it it was just a note she sent me like via email. She didn't even serve me. She sent my email, an email to my lawyer. But yeah, getting 50-50 was just absolutely important. I didn't realize how, how important it is. Good. Your kids will thank you as they get older. Yeah, and All we're right. getting along better now. We're getting along better now. I've uh, yeah, learned a lot about it over time. Yeah, you know, and I'm uh, I, I want to say one more thing too. You know, I'm in the um, school of entrepreneurship that Rich just closed recently, and that's wonderful. And I did go through the table of contents, Rich, for the divorce program you're offering. That's got some solid stuff in it, man. Uh, good job. I wish it was available yeah. when I first went through divorce. Yeah, and you know, like I said, I've I've 
I've priced it way cheaper than the School of Entrepreneurship, right? Like the School of Entrepreneurship's nineteen ninety seven. I I priced the divorce course at, at four hundred ninety seven dollars. It's open all the time. You get it whenever you want. I threw out you know thirty coupon codes for fifty percent off. One of the things I actually talk about in the course at some length as well is handling dating while you're going through the divorce process and what to do and what not to do. And you made some relevant points that I covered in there too from your own experience. Um, but like the reason why I did this, guys, is because you have no idea what you're getting into when you start going through the divorce process. You have some idea of what you're getting into when you deal with a woman because you've probably dated more than one of them. Like most guys don't generally marry the first girl that touches their PP. They kind of date a few girls to sort of figure it out and they kind of work up to it. So they have some idea of, of what they're getting into. When it comes to divorce, it's usually going to be your first and for most guys, your only one, hopefully if you're smart and it's not what you think it is. So the reason why I put all the material in the course is to sort of get your mind squared away around it, prep you for it and give you the best tools so that when you're dealing with your lawyer, that you're that you're in a very good position so that you're not wasting a lot of time and money and screwing things up. But thanks, Jerry. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, Have a good night, guys. Thank you thanks, so man. much. I'm going to let you go. I got James here who's waiting to hop in. But before we let James in, um, I got a super chat here. I wanted to throw your way. Um, Jonathan, he says, if you get married in another country but live uh, and have your assets in the U.S., are they safe? No, they're not safe. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's I tell people who travel to other countries, the U.S. Constitution doesn't follow you when you go to another country. If you get married in another country, and a lot of people do, a lot of cases I've seen, they have two weddings. Uh one in the U.S. and one, let's say they're from India, their families in India or uh, another Asian country, they have two weddings. It doesn't matter. If you live and have your assets in the U.S., they are subject to the laws of the jurisdiction where you're getting divorced. So it doesn't matter where you get married. Then everyone would have a destination wedding uh, in a faraway country where the divorce laws are more even. So, no, it doesn't matter that you get married somewhere else. Yeah, somebody somebody brought up the point earlier. Um, a channel member asked, uh, "Has he spoken about common law <clears throat> marriage?" And like at some point, the state will just look at your living arrangement and just call it marriage. It could be two years, it could be seven years. It really depends on where you live, but they'll look at your living arrangement as a marriage, and they'll apply family law to it after that period of time passes. So it doesn't matter if you got married in Spain and all your assets are. You know, some of your assets there and some of them are here and you got married in that jurisdiction. If if she wants to untie your nuptials that you made in another country, the, like law is still going to apply to you. Like, are there any cases where it doesn't, Jonathan? Uh, go ahead. Give me the give me the question again. And I want to talk about common law marriage for a second if we have time. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got a couple of people waiting. So, you know, we'll okay. get to them in a second because I think that you know this is an important point. Because a lot of guys just think like you know, well, I got married in Spain and I moved my wife over here and my kids. So we're not technically married in, you know, Pennsylvania, uh, yes, but she wants to leave because Steve from accounting looked appealing. So we have to untie the knot. Um, you know, do I have to give her half my stuff? Like, you know, that's like the typical sort of thing. Does she get to take the kids? Well, it doesn't matter where you got married. As long as you're living in a jurisdiction for six months or longer, uh, that's, is a jurisdictional law that's going to have control over what happens at divorce. Sometimes people get married in a foreign country 
and immigrate here. And 15 years later, one of them files for divorce. They don't go back to the other country to get divorced. And the jurisdiction doesn't divorce them under the laws of wherever they came from. They get divorced under the laws where they're domiciled. So it doesn't matter where you got it doesn't matter where you got married. If you're living somewhere for six months with someone, jurisdiction is where you're domiciled. Yeah, like you could you could come from a culturally patriarchal sort of like society country, let's say somewhere in Asia, um, and then you move to California and you've now lived in California for 10 years. And even though you got married over there and your kids, you know, maybe one or two were born over there and one or two were born over here sort of thing. And, you know, you now have a family in California. Guess what? California family law is going to govern, you know, the untying of the knot. And right. that ain't father friendly. No, it's not. Um, but going back to the common law question, that's such a great question because there's such a difference between the provinces in Canada and most of the states in the U.S., only a handful of states in the U.S., maybe about 10, 9 or 10, still recognize common law marriages. Uh, in a place like Pennsylvania, they no longer recognize common law marriages that were entered into after, I think, 1995. Because uh, the courts don't want to deal with whether or not you're married. They say, look, either you got a marriage license and you had a ceremony or you didn't. Uh, but in Canada, you could uh, live with someone for two years it's two and years in yeah in british columbia and i did a interview with a family law attorney on my channel channel ari romelli because i couldn't believe what was going on one year if you have a child with someone and you cohabitate you're considered common law married mm. unbelievable it's like it doesn't seem fair. And I'm not sure why the policy, what the policy reasons are, other than the government doesn't want to take care of anybody if they don't have to. So they'll look to the, the breadwinner to take care of the other person, even if he didn't want to get married. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, let's give James a, a shot here. He's, uh, I think you're the Kiwi, right, James? Yeah, man. I'm from New Zealand. All right. Welcome. So for us tonight. Uh, welcome. Yeah, no, I sort of work in the in the in the family law uh, sector. Uh, I'm not actually practicing law, but I've sort of trained, been, got the degree, passed the bar, etc. So I'm kind of working on the fringes at the moment. Mm. Um, just really good segue because I was about to sort of say about how we roll here and um, with regards to whether you're married or de facto, it's not recognised here as being any different it still falls under the ambit of the Relationship Property Act. Um, having said that, it is quite common here for uh, couples to contract out. So if you don't contract out, you're considered after two years, everything's sort of split. It's, long story short, that's how it rolls. But if you came in with more assets than the other party, you want to contract out, uh, as long as look, two lawyers, uh, independent lawyers are given them the sign off, that's how it rolls and that's quite common. So they're enforceable in New Zealand. Is that what you're saying? If you have both have your own attorney? Yeah. If you have both have your own attorney, they call it a Section 21 contracting out agreement. And does um, it, it's our equivalent of a prenup. Does the court get involved in, in the concept of fairness or they just let leave it under contract law on the four corners of the document? 
it's contract law. Once you've got that Section 21 agreement in place, it's it's watertight. What about um, full disclosure of assets? Is that a requirement? Yeah, that, that, that is an obligation. Right. Okay. So I, I think that's a good law. As long as they're both adults and they both have separate counsel, why not? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, okay. totally. And, and um, yeah, sorry, Rich. No, sorry. Go ahead, James. Did you have a follow-up? Oh, no, I was just talking with regards to um, the use of allegations of domestic violence. That's quite common here, too. Same um, same sort of, like, is it handled the same way? She just has to point and say, big man scared me, take him away? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think, Rich, you mm. being in Canada and in New Zealand, we pretty much run the same Westminster style of government yeah. and legal system. So a lot yeah. of our laws are very similar. Um, and I'm just going to speak to to one guy uh, on Friday before Christmas, last day of Christmas. The cop showed up, served him with a protection order, revoked his firearms license, lost all his firearms. And it's summer here, so everyone takes time off over summer. He's not going to get to a lawyer for two weeks. Mm. All his plans with his kids been blown out of the water, completely torpedoed. Yeah, I mean, it's never a... Like it's never a fairy tale, tale tale story. There's always, you know, there's always some nightmare that <laughs> I know a guy that got yeah. divorced, and then here's the shit storm that followed, sort of thing. It's oh, never, yeah. I know a guy that got divorced, and he's better off today, immediately after it all. I mean, the good news is, is most guys that I know tend to repair their lives. Um, money is replaceable, time isn't, and if you're a competent top shelf man, you can sort of you can fix that. You know, like I've always said during the divorce process, women do want their pound of meat. Uh, it, it just makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they want something. It, it can sometimes hurry the process along. That might mean that you have to sell your interest in your home uh, at, at a discounted rate to sort of get, you know, what you want if you're looking for a, a certain something in the agreement. Um it's a little bit of a game. I mean, yeah, I've yeah. I've again distilled all of the main like talking points and 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 things that you have to contemplate in my divorce course. Again, you know, shameless plug. It's it's in the description of the video, so you can grab it there if you want. Thanks for popping yeah. in, James. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Oh, just just one more thing too, just about my story. Um, I sort of followed a lot of your concepts and Rollo's concepts because I've got two kids, two different mums, mm -hmm. two tours of Vietnam through the family court. Both times I didn't use a lawyer, self-represented. Both times went actually really well, and that's what mm. led me to go and do my law degree. So thank Good. you. Good for you. All right, James. Thanks, man. Excellent. Um, let me grab a couple of these super chats, and then we got a got few it. other guys waiting to ask some questions. So Nolan's here. He says, uh, Tate said in your recent podcast, the best way to start a family was to do it abroad and keep the women and children abroad. What if they come to your country to have the baby, how to prevent? Okay, so let me frame that because um, this is a question that always comes up. I've addressed this many times. Uh, I just posed it to Andrew when he was on the podcast, and I think my editor made a clip out of it. So, it, so it's kind of gone around you know, the interwebs right now. Um, and his answer to the question was basically, look, if you live in Canada or the West where it's hostile towards fathers, you want kids, Go to Latin America, you know, say something like, you know, go down to South America, have have kids over there, come back home, make your money, go down and visit your kids and take care of them, go back home, make your money and, and handle it that way. So to this guy's question is what happens if they come to you? What happens if she comes to, you know, 
Canada and, and she wants to live here. Like I've seen guys here that are fairly successful guys that go down to Cuba and they'll have like a family down there and they'll never bring them back. They'll just send money down. They'll go and visit. They'll especially go down in the wintertime when it's cold and shitty here in the wintertime. And that that's how they do it. But I'm sure Jonathan's answer is going to be the same. It's, you know, they come here, they stay here long enough. Hello. Uh, you've now invited the state into your house in Canada or in a certain state in the U S and family law now applies. It doesn't matter. They're now here, right? Like, would you, is that generally how it works to Nolan's question? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Let me give you an extreme hypothetical. Take it one step further. Say mm. that you live in Canada or somewhere in the United States. That's your domicile. And you have a family in uh, Costa Rica. And they never come here. And then 10 years later, they come here. You still are domiciled in the uh, U.S. or Canada. They She... She could be here for less than uh, six months and file a divorce complaint because one of the two parties is domiciled uh, here or in your jurisdiction. At least in the jurisdictions I practice, one person has to be domiciled uh, for six months or longer. It, 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 so she could not be here for 10 years, then just show up one day and file for divorce there. So you really need to be careful about that. Um, yeah, like if the pattern has been you go down to Chile and you visit her and you come back and you visit her and the kids and you come back, if you know if that's a pattern and then one day she, you know she shows up with the kids and she doesn't want to leave, the first thing you should do is call your family, Laura, and say, "Hey, what's up? You know, how does this go? If you know she's going to stay here, um, so that you can prepare accordingly." Because um, if that was your strategy have a family in another country and 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 pass on your seat and do that and take care of them over there but she wants to change that um then you have to then you'll need some time to respond accordingly but it's a right. fair question yeah uh tom said thank you for the in-depth answer answer eye-opening i think that was to deal with the common law one so thank you for that You're welcome jonathan hello from europe uh sure to give give some three top books it depends what you want to consume yeah that's that's a that's a good book <laughs> <laughs> definitely read the unplugged alpha um yeah it really depends on you know where you want to go and what it is that you want to learn so it's kind of an open question uh dustin says what if the husband and wife run their lives and have their assets in an irrevocable trust this is a good question uh would that avoid the asset issue what's your take on that john uh that's a great question with a complicated answer but the simple answer is uh, I'd want more facts. Like, who's the executor of the trust, and uh, has the trust? How long has the trust been in existence? I'd really want to look at the document that created the trust, and what are you trying to protect it against? In divorce, uh, there's ways to get at the assets where mm. you'd want to know all the terms of the trust, who the executor is, and and. Uh, it's a complicated answer that's beyond the scope of a answer on this platform. But uh, don't get lulled into thinking that a trust is going to protect you, uh, because here, I'm gonna here I'm gonna pose this one to you, Jonathan, because I've answered answered this one a thousand times. Uh, we've got a lady friend here, Gina Funk says, "Why are you looking at marriage as a business deal with prenups as a clean escape plan? You're going into the marriage expecting failure." Uh, actually, Gina, that's a great question. You're not expecting failure. You're just taking your future out of the hands of the state. 
government laws. And you're deciding as two adults how you will move forward after the marriage becomes non-functioning for any reason. So what would you rather do? Let's say your marital estate is half a million dollars, just, just for hypothetical purposes. Would you rather eat that up in legal fees, trying to determine who gets what? Or would you rather have a roadmap that is going to be enforced where let's say, Gina, you're the one that no longer wants to be married and you initiate a divorce. You just want a fair resolution and you can take care of that ahead of time with a prenup. So they're valuable documents. The other thing people don't realize is prenups can be modified by agreement of the parties. They have some, some of them, we put a sunset clause where after a certain number of years, it either goes away or it gets modified. Maybe the payout will be higher after a certain number of years of marriage. You're not leaving the other person penniless on the curb, like a lot of people think. That's not it. It's just that we've already streamlined the distribution of assets process. That's a huge time saver and huge expense saver. So they have a purpose and properly drafted and executed they're upheld in many jurisdictions. Yeah, I would ask you this question. I mean, when you get in your car and you start it up, do you put on your seatbelt? You do, because it's a protective measure, but you don't expect to get into an accident. You just have it just in case. That's that's the point of the prenup, right? The, yeah, just to do one other thing on Gina's uh, question. Uh, it, let's say you were an entrepreneur and you built up a business that, you know, had... Uh, several million dollars a year in net uh, profit every year, and you want to marry someone, is it really fair to take all their hard work and ingenuity and everything they put into this and stake a claim to it? Uh, I would submit it doesn't. Now, if you were both young at, at the marriage and you didn't have a pot to piss in and that might be a little bit different, but if you're marrying someone that's already achieved a certain level of success, uh, you can't blame them for wanting to prevent that, you know, state law from coming in. It's just my opinion. Yeah, that's that's the angle that that guys um, take on it. But I mean, the thing with women and their solipsism is they have a, a difficult time seeing that argument. A lot of the times, because they tend to marry up, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why they pick that guy, right? It's like, you know, I remember I had this conversation with this gal I was dating years ago, and I brought up the uh, notion that, um, I don't know, we were talking about something, and then the idea of a prenup came up. And I said, yeah, you know, a friend of mine just got married, and if I were to ever do it again, this is back when I was plugged into the Matrix sort of thing, I would definitely need, you know, a prenup. Like, like the idea of even getting married a second time might have been on the table, but if it was a prenup had to be in place and she lost her shit. Like she completely lost her mind because the notion of me protecting my assets from her would prevent access to it, you know, sort of thing. So I think that's where, that's where guys still need to be steadfast and hold firm. Let her lose her mind. In fact, it's my opinion guys. And I'll state this here right now. If you have a conversation with her and the topic of a prenup comes up and you say, yeah, I wouldn't get married without one. And she has a complete meltdown. That's a red flag. That's that's a pretty st strong indicator that one of the main reasons why she wants something to do with you into your future is because of what you bring to the table financially. Right. I will tell you that I've done prenups where 
I'm representing the woman and she wants to marry an extremely wealthy guy. And we had right in the prenup, if the marriage lasted two years, she's still getting a couple million dollars and she's got nothing. Uh, so that to me, from nothing to two million dollars in a couple of years. And it's she, deal. yeah, I mean, and <laughs> she was like, fine, I'm fine. I love him. That's fine. You know, but he needed the protection. Uh, because he would have lost lost a lot more, and he was smart about it. And she wasn't greedy at all. Uh, it was such a win win. They, mm. you know, he was protected. She was fine with it. So it's not like he wanted to leave her out on the street or anything. Yeah. All right. Let's give uh, Andy a shot here. How you doing, Andy? Good, hey, Andy. Rich. How you doing, brother? Hi, Jonathan. Hi. Hey. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Question for you on the domestic violence civil protection orders that you see that you've dealt with um, over the years. I know this is a tough question, but how many of those, what percentage would you guess are actually real where there's a true threat of domestic violence? And the reason that I'm asking you this question is my ex-wife tried the silver bullet method on me. And um, amazingly, it, it didn't work on an ex-part basis and it didn't work after a full hearing. And I believe that it's a big, big problem that we have not only here in the States, but Unplugged talks about it in Canada. A guy from New Zealand just talked about it. Guys are just scared to death to co even cohabitate anymore. I'll never do it again. I can't take the risk that you're going to wake up one day, get ticked off and go downtown and say that I tried to do something crazy like happened one time. So how many of them would you say that you've seen are actually legit? Uh, off the top of my head, 20% roughly. Uh, not Not the majority, I'll tell you that. Now, there are cases where someone's coming in on crutches or they got hit with a baseball bat. That is different, but uh, a vast majority, like the burden is putting someone in, in, in fear of imminent serious bodily injury. And I've seen cases where it's about to go in front of a judge or the people will check in and then the woman will sit in the courthouse or in the courtroom and she'll withdraw it on her own, realizing that the judge has is too experienced to buy her story. That doesn't happen all the time, but I've seen it. Uh, I've also seen many cases where the plaintiff or the complainant doesn't show up to the final hearing because there's an initial ex parte hearing, which just the complainant and the judge and a lot, not all of the, now yours, if I heard you right, that wasn't even granted where the judge. Neither. Right. And she still went ahead to a final hearing and that wasn't granted either. Nope. Wow. It's just, and it's amazing. She had four and a half pages, you know, on the very end of those, you can write, you know, you write the incident of what you think happened. It was four and a half pages and you would have thought I was Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. It was bad. Sometimes I'll see people file them and go to a hearing and they'll complain about something that happened two years ago. Like he threatened me two years ago. Well, where have you been for the last couple of years? You know, and some of the stories are just, they don't reach the level of what I would consider putting someone in fear of serious bodily injury or imminent serious bodily injury. So that's just like off the top of my head, not, not a majority at all. I didn't think so. I don't know if you saw it in uh, the Texas Longhorns basketball coach just was fired for a false DV charge that she, they got into a verbal argument and she called the cops and said he strangled her. 
he was put on administrative leave. And when she figured out that, oh, gosh, he's going to lose the $30 million contract, she redacted that and said it never happened. Well, the board of trustees still fired him because he too represents late. it's too late now. So right. you can't unring the bell. No. And one final funny thing, it amazes me, like in the case of my ex-wife, they do this CPO, falsified domestic violence. They drag you through the grinder. And then when it's all over, they go, OK, well, you need to be nice to me now going forward. It's like, no, their entitlement is amazing to me. Right. I've had yeah. cases where the guy will have his mom or his uh, friend drive the kid to the custody exchange because he does because she's made a false claim against him and he doesn't want to be anywhere near her, no matter nope. what, you know, blocks her on social yeah. media. Blah. I would advise that to do that too. I mean, I won't, I won't even speak to her. We haven't spoken in a year and a half and my dad does all the pickups for me. He picks go. them up because I will not even, I do not even want to look at you. I don't even want to breathe the air that you're right. breathing. Get away from me. Right. I don't blame you. Yeah, that's that's such the a safest spot way. to be in. Yeah, and it's, it's not tough. good for the kids either. I mean, like, you know, like now your kids are growing up in a household where dad can't even communicate with mom and granddad's got to do all the pickup sort of thing. Like, it's tough. Like, like it's a like it's a very difficult predicament because they put the law in place to protect women. But then because there's no real checks and balances, all they have to do is point and sputter and say, man, big and bad. I scared. And, you know, boom, you're in cuffs and, you know, you're hauled away and the locks are changed. So it's it's. Uh, you it know, was a no-win situation. It was about the way that she went about it, Rich. If you just would have came to me and said, look, Andy, I'm in over my head. I don't have training, education, discipline to be able to handle these two kids while you're grinding. I really never liked you to begin with, and my hypergamy has kicked in big time. I would have been like, okay, well, thanks for telling me. There's the door. Well, you're, therein lies the you're therein lies a woman to become <laughs> rational, my friend. It is not possible. <laughs> Okay, well, what was that movie with Jack Nicholson? You know, he was cornered. You know, some woman said, "How do you write women so well?" And he goes, "I think of a man, and I take away accountability and rationality, or something like that." Right. right? It's like, you know, you're wishing for something that doesn't doesn't exist, unfortunately. But you know, you know, you went through the process. I'm sure you're better off for it. I know it's difficult, but uh, you know, fair fair warning, guys. You know, here you have another example, right? Well, yeah, your situation is more common than people think. Here I well, mentioned people have their parents take the kids uh, because they don't want to be anywhere on her radar. Uh, when I unplugged from the matrix, I really discovered that, see, I thought I was the only one at the time that this happened to. It happens every day, all day, all the time. But I didn't know that till I unplugged. Yeah. Yeah. The, the courts are filled with these kind of cases. So question, question before you go, Andy, it's, it sounds like, you know, my stuff, how many red flags did she have before you married her? Like, were any of them obvious to you? I already counted them. It was 14. And then my very similar rich Cooper scenario, I did the single mommy routine afterwards. Yeah. That was 16 of them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one step at a time, my friend, <laughs> one step at a time. I'll best, see you, Andy. gents, Thanks. later. Thanks. Thank Take you. Care. Thank you. All right. Uh, we got we got room time for one more, uh, Jonathan. So let's give Bob a, a shot here. Uh, Bob, how you doing? You got about five minutes, so fire away. All right. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, yep. Hey, Bob. Uh, hi, Jonathan. So uh, my question was for like custody. Um, have you been typically seeing more 50-50 or... 
is it usually the typical like dad gets every other weekend and maybe a night through the week kind of thing? Wow, great question. Uh, it really comes down almost to the judge. You know, some judges have certain tendencies, but if you live in the same school district and you uh, have the ability to take care of the child, and in Pennsylvania, they have a list of 16 factors, I, I've seen some guys get primary custody where they have more overnights than the mom. But 50-50 is, you know, it's not codified in the statute that it starts at 50-50, which is another thing I could talk about. But, uh, yeah, I see it happen a lot where it makes sense. The question is, is it week on, week off? Because it depends upon the needs of the kids, too. Uh, some kids are good with that week on, week off because they forget things or their backpacks at their mom's. It really depends upon how close the uh the parents live to each other. Also, if they had, if they can communicate with each other and they can co-parent, that would lend itself more to a more likely 50-50 scenario. If you think about it, the old, you know, every other weekend and Wednesday night dinner, that doesn't serve the best interest of the kids most often, you know, especially if it's a, you know, responsible dad. So I, to answer your question directly, yeah, I see more of that. Yeah, because what I'm running into is um, my, and I work a pretty normal schedule, seven to three, um, Monday through Friday, but that's kind of getting used against me as like, well, you couldn't be home for this or you couldn't make that. Um, and it she seems pretty typical. Um, she was, yes. Is she, is she still a stay-at-home mom? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's an easy argument for her to make is that, you know, I've always provided, they're very comfortable with me. There's a precedent set. Dad works. He's not available in the morning. I've been doing breakfast. Yeah. I mean, of course she's going to lean on that argument. So it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a disadvantage. You have any advice for a guy in a situation like that, Jonathan? What, where are you located? Uh, Illinois. Okay. Um, I've seen cases where the judge will make it as close to 50, 50 as possible where, you would get uh, almost every weekend, all of spring break, all of winter break, most of the summer, if not all of the summer, except for maybe a week or two for mom. So when you count the days, it's not quite 50-50 because of the school year, but you would have a decent argument to have more than the typical time. Uh, again, I, I don't know how old the kids are, what their needs are, but, you know, it's, I've seen and had cases where the judge will go overboard for dad, uh, except during the school year when the kids really need to be with one parent or the other. So mm -hmm. if you have an attorney, I would ask them what the case law is in Illinois. If there's anything that indicates that you might have a decent argument. And then again, the judge too, you know, judges are human. They try to do what's in the best interest of the kids, but Get the temperature. If you have a lawyer, they'll get the temperature of the court you're in and see, you know, the judge's tendencies uh, and how you present yourself as well. Some jurisdictions, depending upon how old the kid is, they'll interview the kid. It's called they interview him in camera, which is in the judge's chambers. And you can submit questions to the judge uh, about what you think is important to your child. So how old are your kids? Uh, I've. So I have twins that are seven and a four-year-old daughter. 
Yeah, usually the kid has to be older than maybe 10 or 11 before the courts get involved because uh, the kids are too susceptible to being pressured by one of the parents. You know, they say what the parent thinks they want them mm -hmm. to say. And so kids that young, it's hard. So. Yeah. Is it is it still the case, Jonathan, that the younger the kid is, the more likely the children are to be awarded custody to the mom? Uh, not in the jurisdictions where I practice. That was known as the tender years doctrine, where mm. young children always went with the mother. No longer uh, in not Pennsylvania, so it's gender blind. They can't make mm. a decision based on the gender and they have to go through those 16 factors. So uh, that was an old law that is no longer in existence. Okay, so things are moving at least in a in the right direction. It's not quite there yet, but they're moving there. Right. Not in you know every jurisdiction is different, but yeah, um, yeah. There's still some differences. Okay. All right, Bob, you good? Yep. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank All right, man. you. Thanks, Thanks for buddy. calling in. Yep. All right. All right. Um, I think on that note, we'll wrap it up. Uh, Jonathan is tagged in the title of the video, his YouTube channel. So give his YouTube channel a follow. Um, do you want people to find you on Twitter too, or? Yeah, Twitter, uh, JCN Law, Instagram, JCN Law. Come on over. My videos are short and pithy to the point. I'm just speaking uh, from experience on things I mm -hmm. see. Happy to have you aboard. Yeah, and again, guys, the course is open. Uh, it's it's always going to stay open. It's always going to be priced low. But if you want to get it at the 50% uh, off price, I've already seen a few emails pop in. People have grabbed it. So use the coupon code, grab it now. Um, I'll get you into the Facebook group and we'll get started on monthly zooms, probably starting next month. I figured I'd start doing it once there's, uh, you know, a handful of people in there to really make it worthwhile and get you, get you going. But ideally this is something that you have to plan for. If you've already moved out of the matrimonial home, you've already had a, a false DV charge. It's, it's very, very difficult for you to sort of like, there's no time machines. You know, we can't put you back in a time machine and give you an opportunity to avoid that. This is something you have to take serious. Untying the knot, you would hope, would be an easy process. And you sit down and you just divide assets and you share time and everything will be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But family law is written in such a way, and I covered it in my book too. You, you know, it's written in such a way that it kind of forces her to behave badly during the process. So just, you know, you're going to be marching into a slaughterhouse. Do it with your eyes wide open, is what I'm recommending. Any closing thoughts, Jonathan? No, thank you for the great questions. Uh, terrific audience, much appreciated. Drop a comment on the video too after Rich posts it. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll read the comments. Wear your seatbelts, folks. <laughs> All right. Uh, again, thanks, uh, John. Really appreciate it. Just going to run an outro reel. Uh, stick around for a minute because I want to talk to you. After All this. right, guys. If you enjoyed that podcast, make sure you visit my website at richcooper.ca to learn more about my courses, my book, The Unplugged Alpha Community or booking me for private coaching. Also, if you are a Canadian with $15,000 or more of credit card debt, and what you are doing right now isn't paying off the balances, then visit totaldebtfreedom.ca and hit get a free quote to see if you qualify to settle your credit card debt for less than you owe today over the next 48 months. Make sure you check out the top pinned comment on YouTube for all the links mentioned during the show. Peace.